North-South Connection Podcast Network. Welcome to a very special report on the release of Marvel's new hit cinematic masterpiece. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. My name is Johnny C, and I'm here to guide you through a multiverse of movies. More importantly, though, I'm here to talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, I almost said Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Fabulousness. Well, I'm happy to announce that I have settled the uh, pending lawsuit I had with Marvel, and we've decided that they can keep the name of their movie, and I can keep the name of my podcast. But I'm here because I think that the anticipation for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is sort of at a fever pitch. And if you take into consideration that this is the 28th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think that's quite an accomplishment. So I wanted to take some time and, you know, produce a podcast for everyone that might be interested in this, uh, this huge blockbuster release that's happening as we speak. So the way this is going to work is I've prepared some items that I want to discuss in preparation. So this can kind of act as a primer, not so much in plot points, but more real-world plot points. I want to talk about what this film means to not only the, the, the industry of cinema, what it could potentially mean to the Marvel brand, what it could mean also for like uh, artistic merit within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's something I wanted to talk about. I also have an interesting comparison I'm going to make for all of our professional wrestling fans out there who regularly, regularly subscribe to the North-South Connection Podcast Network to sample our content that surrounds professional wrestling. And while this is definitely more pop culture oriented, I couldn't help but notice as I was putting together notes an interesting correlation. So stay tuned for that. Then, our extra super special main event, uh, I will, you know, dictate a clear break in the podcast, and I will also put the timestamp in the notes as well for anyone who's coming on board to give this a listen that has not seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And after that break, I will give you not only sort of, um, I don't want to call it a review, but it will be an instant interpretation of what has just been witnessed. Because much like I did earlier this year with the Batman, I will give you my straight out of the theater, no holds barred, unfiltered, uncooked, uncut, uncensored uh, take on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now that can be dangerous because uh, you can sometimes fall into the... um, rigmarole of believing the hype or being so excited that you just saw something that gave you an answer or gave you hope for the you know something you might see in the future or just you know you might be buying into your own bullshit if you pardon the expression i will try to step away from that Uh, i've been known to be able to give an honest assessment um but i'm going to put it to the test because there are a lot of things here that i'm excited for but maybe that's the problem And I think that's a good place to start. Maybe the problem is I'm too excited for certain things, and I'm not excited to see a movie. So, let's pivot back to the beginning, shall we? As I had mentioned, this is the 28th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if you've been living under a rock, that is an interconnected universe of films that exist simultaneously and collaboratively. So, you know, you may watch a film called Ant-Man and the Wasp, and come to realize that it acts as a prequel for a film called Avengers Endgame. 
or Avengers Infinity War. Um, it's unparalleled in cinematic history what Marvel has been able to do. I'm not going to wax poetic on that because chances are, if you're hearing these words, you already know and understand what that means. But I do want to touch on what this film could potentially mean for cinema. All right, I'm kind of a big nerd when it comes to the business of entertainment. Probably one of the reasons why I've been a wrestling fan for so long. Uh, it's a business unlike any other. But that being said, this is the first MCU theatrical offering since Spider-Man No Way Home uh, in December, excuse me, December of 2021, which I think no one can deny was a shot of adrenaline right into the heart for the uh, theatrical exhibition industry, movie theaters, you know, those places we go to watch these things and pay ridiculous amounts for a small Coca-Cola. But I don't blame the theaters after all. There's so much overhead involved in this, and that's where they're making their profit. So I'm willing to pay $5 for a 20-ounce soda because I don't want theaters to go away. But Spider-Man No Way Home not only was an outlier because it, it rejuvenated the theatrical cinema experience, but it also was a spectacle that was sort of unrivaled in pop cinema because it acted not only as a sequel to the, I guess, 26 MCU films that came before it, but also sequels to films that were made years before, in some cases, decades before. Because I can tell you, my freshman year of college, right around Memorial Day when we were almost done, I sat my ass in the theater with my best freshman friends and watched Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe. And of course, we all know... Uh, God, and, and hey, just a quick note on spoilers for other MCU properties. Uh, at this point, I think anything's fair game. I'm sorry if you disagree. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I may not talk about Moon Knight, because that's pretty new. But, you know, come on. I'm going to talk about Spider-Man. So, what Spider-Man did, though, to the pop culture zeitgeist was elevated Marvel hype to, I think, unrivaled standards since the gap between Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Do I have statistics to back this? No, I don't. I just have the box office of Spider-Man No Way Home and the online chatter and the um, sort of reaction I've seen... Um, you know, even in my, you know, my personal life, you know, I've seen people, or I've, I've, I've encountered people who have seen Spider-Man that would not have seen other MCU films for one reason or another. Maybe their kids love it and they couldn't help but get caught up in it when it was on TV in front of them. I'm not sure. Um, but because of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, Marvel has, and, and to a lesser extent Loki, they have monetized the multiverse which is a concept that has been confusing and aggravating comics readers since the 80s. Uh, I, I personally am a fan of the multiverse. I think it uh, enables a lot of creative freedom to individuals who are tasked with creating stories for our consumption. Uh, but that being said, it's really muddied the waters, in my opinion, as to what the hell are audiences really looking for. And here's what I mean by that. I mentioned earlier that I'm excited to see what happens in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I am not necessarily super excited to see Doctor Strange 2. And I think that's a problem that I'll get into in a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I'm seriously wondering what this uh, movie would equate to if people weren't frolicking at the mouth for cameos, to put it bluntly. 
And also, when it comes to this particular film, I'm not going to talk about anything that hasn't appeared in like a TV commercial, like a Super Bowl spot, for example. And judging from the Super Bowl ratings, a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, so a lot of people have seen the trailer where Sir Patrick Stewart says, Oh, Doctor Strange, I'm Professor Charles Xavier, and I'm here to tell you about mutants. Mutants are the next stage of human evolution. Uh, All right, no more Patrick Stewart impressions until I decide it's time to do one again. But, you know, the Illuminati. Everyone is excited to see what multiversal characters are going to be brought in from other properties, etc., etc., etc. But what does that really mean for a movie that is essentially Doctor Strange 2? Especially when you consider the fact that a majority of plot points that have been advertised don't have a single thing to do with... Doctor Strange, the film, the original Doctor Strange, and maybe for good reason. I am not a massive fan of Doctor Strange, the first film. It's fine. It's mid-level Marvel. That being said, I don't know that I'm a huge fan of the Doctor Strange character. I was, in comics, when Doctor Strange seemed to be a bit more interesting. I don't know, though. This... This Benedict Cumberbatch version... Now, Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic actor, but this version of Doctor Strange has always played as, like, Stark the Lesser. All right? And for some reason, the character was written to just be Tony Stark, but a doctor instead of a tech genius. And when you consider the fact that he was also saddled with having to play daddy to Spider-Man, much like Tony Stark did the last time he appeared, I just think the parallels keep going and going and going. Now, there are some plot points that are going to carry over from the initial Doctor Strange film. We know that Baron Mordo is coming back. Um, He was set up as the villain at the end of the first film. And honestly, I feel like anything we're going to encounter with that character here in the second film is going to be a, a retconned version of what we expected. It's like, I don't know... I don't want to dig into what this movie feels like until until I finish my initial thoughts, but um, I just don't know how much value there's going to be to the Doctor Strange character or franchise itself. This feels more like an attempt to get you excited for the Marvel brand as opposed to being entertained by a single Doctor Strange film. But is that what audiences want? You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think you know there's a fever pitch for this shit, but it's more along the lines of, who am I going to see and what are they going to show me? You know, I really enjoyed the Hawkeye uh, television limited series, okay? But I think that the your big items that come out of that were, oh, look, there's, there's the Kingpin, you know? And while I was super excited to see uh, the Kingpin come back and to be played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who was awesome in the Daredevil show, it's kind of like, what does that really do for that show? And and I, and I can hear myself, you know, wandering and and trying to get off on tangents, and I don't want to do that. My point is, is that what what value are we getting from this Doctor Strange movie? Um, I've I've been rewatching Wandavision because the you know you talk, we talked about the Baron Mondo or excuse me Baron Mordo plot points coming back. We know that the Scarlet Witch is going to be a big part of this film, so I'm excited to see this act as a sequel to Wandavision. But again. A lot of people, I think, are coming in expecting this to be a sequel to Spider-Man No Way Home. And I think in a lot of ways it will be. Um, I'm not sure how much of this, you know, him messing with the multiverse is actually going to be based on the events of that film. Because how do you start the movie 
assuming that you're, I, I don't know, I guess they've done it before, assuming that your audience has seen everything before and what have you. But, um, you know, they really, there really needs to be some artistic intangibles here at play. Because I think to summarize this, this opening thought, and the thing that I want to get across the most is, is this really feels like a film that's been manufactured to meet a corporate goal. And I don't say that as a person who's like, oh, you're killing art with your corporate goals. I don't really necessarily think that's a thing. I think you could do both. I really honestly think you can do both. Um, but I don't know. It just it feels kind of manufactured. Um, and one of the points that I have against that is a discussion I'm going to start now. And it's about what can make this movie feel like it's not something that's been constructed together piecemeal for corporate synergy. And I think the, the first olive branch that was extended to folks interested in whether or not this will be a positive film experience for them was the hiring of director Sam Raimi, bringing him back into the Marvel family, if you will. So now that he's back in the fold and ready to go and start contributing to the MCU proper as opposed to his standalone early 2000 films, let's talk about who director Sam Raimi is and uh, what they can bring to the table. So if you're not familiar with Mr. Raimi, he is probably most famous, well, he's famous for a lot of different things. If you're not familiar with who he is right off the top, the Evil Dead trilogy may spring to mind if uh, you've seen any of those films. And the reason that I mention those specifically is because uh, Sam kind of cut his teeth in the horror genre. And through that genre, he was able to really establish a very visual style. A lot of those Evil Dead films were made on the cheap, which, you know, they say in the film industry can be a great innovator. They're low-budget films, and so Mr. Raimi found a way to use his camera, his camera movements, um, to create horror and suspense, a feeling of unnerve, and also to honestly just not let his imagination falter because of budgetary constraints. And now, I mean, do these Marvel movies even have a budget? I say that jokingly, but honestly, I don't feel that there's a point. I mean, obviously, yes, we're up to $300 million in budget. We're probably going to close the faucet a little bit and stop letting money leak right out. But you got to consider, you know, if you budget this film at 150 and you end the day at 180 I mean, you're... <laughs> I don't want to say it's a it's a it's a it's a given that you're going to profit, but this brand, I feel like you have to bet forward. I mean, they're saying hypothetically that this film could even take in 150 million dollars in its opening weekend, which for a Doctor Strange level character in the MCU is pretty damn respectable. You may also know Sam Raimi from Darkman, a fantastic 1990 film with a very young Liam Neeson and a very spry Francis McDormand, Larry Drake at the helm as the villain. Uh, Oh God, what's his name? Durant, but what's the full name? Robert G. Durant. I'm Larry Drake and I'm here to cut off your fingers. If you haven't seen Darkman, you should just, well, you should listen to this podcast all the way through and then praise me on Twitter at the Johnny C. I'm kidding, not praise me. Um, but what you should do is you should definitely watch Darkman because it's fantastic and it really sets an amazing tone for Sam Raimi in this genre because the Spider-Man films, while they are, t- are good, 
um, especially Spider-Man 2. Sam's, I don't mean to call him Sam, Mr. Raimi's visual flair really is his, Darkman is his completely, okay? Darkman is a film that is owned by Sam Raimi in a sense that everything you are seeing on screen is because he made that choice or he directed his actors to do XYZ. But it's really him in complete control. Spider-Man 1 and 2, I would argue, also are as well. But in big films like that, you always have a master to serve. Okay? And we're going to get into that in just a moment. Another thing you might know Mr. Sam Raimi for uh, is being (laughs) chums with Bruce Campbell, who of course appeared in Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. And he always cameos and random spots. I think it was also just uh, announced that uh, Mr. Raimi gave an interview where he did cop to the fan theory that Bruce Campbell in uh, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, where he has cameos as like the wrestling announcer guy, and then the Mater D at the restaurant, I think it is, in the third one. And then the second one, he's the ticket guy. I think that was going to be Mysterio, like some sort of interpretation of Mysterio, which is brilliant. Um, it's unfortunate we didn't get to see that. But w- will Bruce Campbell show up as a multiversitude version? Uh, oh, it's multiversitude. As a multiverse variant of a well-known and loved Marvel character? I have no idea. That's all pure speculation on my part. Just a fun little thing, a little uh, tidbit of information for fans of that director. So, I said I was going to hold on Spider-Man 3, and now it's time to talk about Spider-Man 3. So, we spoke in our intro about how this could be a film by committee, where there are many masters to serve, meaning Marvel. Now, I'm not saying that Marvel's like an evil master at hand who's, you know, telling Sam Raimi he has to do X, Y, and Z, but I do think that there are certain elements that were on the table, uh, that were basically no points of contention here. We're not going back on these. These have to be included. And the reason I bring up Spider-Man 3 specifically is because that was the last time Mr. Raimi worked with Marvel where he really felt the the burn of being directed what to do by the company that is in control. It's a well-known story that Sam Raimi did not want to include Venom in Spider-Man 3, and that was a studio mandate. And I think the portrayal of Venom not only comes across as that by its weak inclusion in the screenplay, but Mr. Raimi doesn't want to seem to spend time on the Venom mythos and character because he's not interested in it personally. And I understand that because it wasn't his vision to bring it to the screen from the very get-go. So how does that translate to a a cinematic experience where you have... And, and this is just a partial list I came up with at the top of my head. You have this many uh, preconceived items that have to be included in the film. You've got uh, all the tie-ins to the What If series, okay? Uh, and we know that there's at least one because we've seen in recent television spots the Captain Carter shield, which is wielded by the Captain uh, Captain Carter variant of the Captain America character that's Peggy Carter, uh, which, as a side note, I am excited to see on the big screen, and I think that Haley Atwell, I believe that's her name, does a great job as a character. So, so good for her. Like, that is cool. And that's where this sort of weird thing comes into play. Like, I'm excited to see all of these elements at play on the big screen, but will it make for a good overall two-hour and six-minute, I think, movie? So you want to keep talking about the Illuminati, we know that Charles Xavier is here. And 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 what does that mean? Well, Jesus, mutants, will they spend time to introduce the concept of mutants? 
And if they don't, or if they brush over it really quickly, will the Marvel audience be satisfied with that? So what's the good balance there? How much screen time can you really devote to that? So we've got What If tie-ins. We've got X-Men Illuminati tie-ins. There are going to be other Illuminati members. You know, historically in the comics, you've got the Submariner, Black Bolt, Mr. Fantastic, Iron Man, uh, Professor X, Beast, when Professor X dies, which obviously I guess won't come into play here, Black Panther... Uh, so, uh, Doctor Strange himself is an Illuminati member, ironically enough. Like, I don't want to... You know, th- that's from the comics, okay? Those are spoilers for comics. If they end up being spoilers for the film, I'm sorry. I don't know anything that you don't know. But how do you serve those masters and introduce those characters? And then, America Chavez is going to be introduced as well, which, granted, may feel like a more organic character to introduce since they are introducing the multiverse, but that's a brand new character we have to get acclimated with. Not to mention... The uh, fallout from WandaVision, the Scarlet Witch, who at this point honestly deserves her own film, is going to have to share the plot with all these other items that are being thrown in. Uh, Her hunt for Speed and Wiccan, which are her children throughout the multiverse, will that come into play? I don't know. Will the White Vision, I don't know, have a better name for him, folks, I'm sorry. The Vision that was manufactured by S.W.O.R.D., will that will that character come into play? Or perhaps a multiverse a variant of the Vision himself? Like, I just, I don't know. And then, to top it all off, don't forget, we have an actual story to tell that involves Doctor Strange uh, solving whatever plot points he gets tangled up in. And, and that's the whole point of the movie. I mean, this is a Doctor Strange film to begin with. So... Can Sam Raimi pull a balancing act? I can already tell from the trailers that his visual flair is going to be there. But will it be enough to carry a two-hour film to a sense of cohesion and a sense of reward for the viewer? Like, oh, this is great. Is this going to be the type of experience where you walk out of the theater like, oh, it was so cool. I can't believe Professor X was there and, and, and Cyclops and Wolverine. I'm making that up, guys. I don't know. And Gambit was there. Oh, wait, but Rogue wasn't there. I love Rogue. Oh, yeah, but did you see that uh, Photon or Fozar? God, what is Monica Rambeau's superhero name? I don't know. I don't know if that's anybody's favorite character. If it is, I apologize. Uh, like I said, I just watched WandaVision, but it was like a week ago. So, like, what will it set up? What will the end credit scene be? Will we get anything for Thor? Like, just all sorts of random stuff that has to do with anything but what a film does. You know, you sit down to watch, uh, like, I just watched Ambulance. Uh, like, I'm trying to figure out if it's called, like, L.A. Ambulance, Ambulance L.A. Like, I know that. It doesn't matter. The Michael Bay film. And I really enjoyed it, number one. And I don't like Michael Bay, so that's that's something for you. But number two, like it's, I didn't have any preconceived notions about like, I mean, what? It's just I'm just watching Ambulance. It begins, it ends. That's the story. That's the narrative. It's over. It's done with. And this is just such a weird experience. I, you know, I, I I'm trying to compare it to like other recent MCU films, like Shang Chi. I was excited for because I like the Shang Chi character from the get-go, but I was also excited to see new elements of play. Same thing for Eternals, where it was new elements in play. I was excited for not so much the characters, and Shang Chi was good. Eternals was decent enough. Um, it's just, but you know, if you ask me now, like what was the best part of Eternals? I'd be like, I don't know, Mahershala Ali's voice, because I can't wait for that fucking Blade movie, which I still am a little bit afraid of is not going to get made for some reason. Please, just. Just put something on film for Blade so we can lock it in as something that's happening. 
You know, I could just see that being a thing where it's like, well, yeah, we planned it six, seven, eight years ago, and Mahershala Ali just doesn't want to do it anymore. So there you go. Um, but I'm getting off topic. So will we have a cohesive two-hour and six-minute Doctor Strange 2? I don't know. Sam Raimi, he's been extended to us as sort of a, a, a nerd promise, but we will see what happens. And ultimately... It's going to be a, a balancing act between the screenplay because, good Lord, I would love to know. I don't know how many credited screenwriters there are. I don't know how many drafts of this script there were before they settled on the shooting script. And that can be a really bad thing or it could just be a, yeah, we just didn't know how you know what we wanted to do 100% of the time. And then we figured it out. We, we rewrote it based on that. Or is it going to be piecemeal? Like, yeah, we took 10 pages from this script, 30 pages from this, one page from this. Like, I don't know. I'm excited to see it. I, I hope it's not a clusterfuck because I want to go and I want to have a good time. Um, but I do have my doubts. Um, I am excited to see some horror elements come into play. Sam Raimi's the guy for that. Um, will it push the boundaries of what PG-13 or Marvel films are known for? And will there be a different feel to the Marvel humor? Because you know you've got to have Marvel humor. And I would argue that Sam Raimi's films have a great sense of humor that is all their own. So I, there's lots of stuff to be excited for. Piecemeal. Are you excited for the cohesive whole? That's the big topic at hand here. And sort of wrapping up the, the Sam Raimi portion of this, uh, talking about being excited for piecemeal items, that's going to transition into the next fun point that I want to make before I wrap up this pregame, if you will, and, you know, review the movie and tell you what actually happened and what did we get. And that is how this film and the build-up to it makes me feel like I'm getting ready to spend a fun weekend with the WWE preparing to watch the Royal Rumble. Now, if you're not familiar with the Royal Rumble, that is certainly okay. What I've done uh, is laid out just a few little tidbits about what the Royal Rumble is and how it compares to this theatrical release. That way, if you're coming to this from a perspective of being uninitiated to the world of professional wrestling, I would say, well, you've probably had a less stressful life, which is good for you, because uh, being a wrestling fan can sometimes be more of a chore than it is a fan. But then again, isn't that fandom? You know, uh, the people that get really pissed off that uh, XYZ happens in, you know, the latest issue of uh, the Justice League, for example, are the people who will continue to buy Justice League every month, etc., etc. So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, and that's a Sean O'Hare reference for the wrestling fans. So I, I said it feels like spending a fun time, you know, a fun weekend with the WWE. So the WWE and, uh, you know, other wrestling promotions, but WWE specifically, each month, they have what they call a premium live event. We used to call them pay-per-views. And that is supposed to be the culmination of the months-long storylines that have been set in place. And, uh, you know, the results will get us to the next uh, month of television. So, what they also have, aside from that, are what are called the Big Five. Uh, because there's five of them now. It used to be the Big Four. There are five pay-per-views each year, which are seen as sort of benchmark shows that hold a little bit more weight within the WWE universe. And yes, that's a branding term that they have, but I mean, at this point, the DC universe, the Marvel universe, the, I mean, it, it fits. You know, when they first introduced it as a branding term, and I'm way off topic, I thought it was referring to like the universe in which the storylines can take place, but they've done this weird thing where it's like what they call their fans, which I've never thought made sense because... 
you know, only in the WWE universe could President Jack Tunney make a ruling that Jake the Snake's snake is banned from ringside. That's where I thought they were going, but man, not what you came for. So, the Royal Rumble is one of those big pay-per-views, which I'm going to equate to a MCU theatrical release. Because you might get Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and those are all great shows on their own merit. But usually when you have a theatrical release, it's going to feel differently. It's going to feel maybe a little bit bigger and like it might have more of an impact. So the way the Royal Rumble is structured, uh, there will be a couple of really big matches that I'll talk about, but what we call the undercard or the matches that are you know, usually not the key selling points on Royal Rumble cards are usually moderate and kind of small. Now, they can be extraordinary. Sometimes they can be really unextraordinary, okay? But to me, that's sort of like my interest in the Doctor Strange franchise as a whole. You know, I'm not here for the Royal Rumble. I, or excuse me, I'm here for the Royal Rumble matches, not the undercard. It's like, well, all right, I don't know if I'm here for Strange, but I am here because it is indeed Doctor Strange, and I will sit through the entire production or presentation, and hopefully the sum will be greater than the parts. And the Royal Rumble pay-per-view has two Royal Rumble matches, okay? These matches are long, but usually very entertaining, and that's why they take up most of the show, because of their length. Well, that's something you can kind of always depend on when you watch the Royal Rumble or when you buy it or sit down to invest your time. You're like, okay, there's four matches and two Rumbles. All right, let's get through these four matches, and I'm sure they'll be fine. But I know the Rumble will always leave me a little bit smiling and satisfied. Um, That reminds me of the Marvel movie formula. You know there's going to be some jokes. You know there are going to be well-directed action scenes and some slick production design. Those are things that you can count on. And then, when you have a movie like this that does have a director's flair, hopefully attached to it, that really lines up pretty darn well with, you know, what I what's going to take up the majority of the time is probably going to be, if nothing else, entertaining. Okay, it doesn't mean it's going to change your mind or change your world, but it is going to be entertaining. Now, these long Royal Rumble matches often have a key, a few key touchstone moments, but some of the fun that brings in older fans or folks that haven't watched in a while are the fact that there are going to be surprise wrestlers in these Royal Rumble matches because you have to have 30 individuals to have a complete match. So there's there's one for the men and one for the women. And usually, even though they have a lot of people under contract, they may only have like 24, 25 characters that they really want to promote. So the other six, for example, might be oh, I don't know, a big name from the past or someone who's been injured and coming back after being off of television for a year. And to me, that's what Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is offering me when with their promotion of like the Illuminati and multiverse variants, okay? I know going in, I know before I'm sitting down to invest my time in the Royal Rumble or before I purchase my ticket for Doctor Strange 2 that I'm going to get some surprises, And those usually end up being some of the fun talking points of the Royal Rumble weekend. Oh, I didn't really like this match. This match was okay, but holy, holy goodness, did you see that, uh, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels came back? He was, he's a wrestler. 
uh, and he's been retired for a long time. You know, so it's like I couldn't believe they got Shawn Michaels to come back. I.e., I couldn't believe they finally brought uh, Black Bolt back from that shitty Illumin- uh, Illuminati from that shitty Inhumans TV show. Is sort of like you know how, how I line these things up. Now the Royal Rumble, with it being a long match with a ton of different uh, competitors, can sometimes produce a surprise winner. And sometimes these Marvel movies subvert expectations and offer plot twists. And you might be saying, well, Johnny, isn't that just kind of like every every movie can have a plot twist? Yes, it can. But not every movie has a built-in 70-year of history. So, for example, to use one of my least favorite Marvel films, because it just popped into my head, uh, Captain Marvel, which features the Kree Skrull, a version of the Kree Skrull War, kind of, uh, in the comics, for years, the Skrulls have always been painted as the villains. If nothing else, definitely the more evil of the two factions. Because, you know, there's no set of individuals in any circumstance that are all good or evil. You know, there's, there's shades of gray, pal. But my point is, is that Captain Marvel subverted my personal expectations, because I sure did think the Skrull were going to be the bad guys. And it turns out that they were actually the refugees and the folks looking for a place to live, etc., etc., yada, yada, yada. So they can subvert my expectations for who's going to win the Rumble, because the person that wins the Royal Rumble is usually a larger star, versus Marvel has all this these years and years of history to look back upon. They're going to change things up and subvert my expectations. And those can be some of the most exciting things, especially for fans who walk in or purchase a ticket expecting to see the same old, same old. Okay? Now, the last takeaway from this is that the Royal Rumble is usually a... It's not a preview show, but it will usually tell the viewer what they can expect when WrestleMania rolls around. Now, even if you don't know what the Royal Rumble is, I know most folks have heard the phrase WrestleMania. It's penetrated the culture. And that's not a joke. I do mean that. I do think it's 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 part of sort of lexicon of popular culture. And at the end of the day, aren't most of these Marvel movies just sort of teasers for the next big thing? Avengers 5, maybe? I don't know if they'll ever make another Avengers movie. I don't know if they're going to make the multiverse Avengers. I, I have no idea. But they've they've introduced everything that's happened after Avengers Endgame will hopefully culminate in some sort of crazy Avengers film where you can finally get, you know, Captain America, Sam Wilson interacting with Moon Knight. Or, I don't know, Ms. Marvel interacting with Captain Marvel. Well, I guess that'll happen in the Marvels. But you get what I'm saying here. You get these characters that normally have nothing to do with one another, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're making bacon. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, seeing Shang-Chi hang out with Moon Knight could be cool. Maybe they're stuck in an elevator, and Moon Knight just starts having a conversation with himself, and then the elevator dings, and Moon Knight walks out, and Shang-Chi's like, I don't know, I thought my family was weird, or something like that. I don't know, all right? I'm just a dude. On a podcast, I don't write for Marvel, but that's that's kind of my point, though. So, at the end of the day, is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness just a commercial for something larger down the road? Well, I don't know, guys. I don't know what to tell you. But I will tell you, I'd love to make a fucking billion dollars off of a commercial. I'll tell you that much right now. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will ultimately bring to the Disney Corporation and their subsidiaries in terms of financial gains, but it's probably going to be worth their time and effort to have produced this commercial for the next phase. And to tell you the truth, 
Most of us kind of know that going in, and we still take it each and every time willingly, like I have to kind of admit I'm going to be doing as well. Here's my money. Do what you want with me. I'll see you again in a few months. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. That's just uh, the way it is with the things that we love. So just a few final thoughts, put a bow on it, and then we'll watch the movie. So ultimately, I think I've made it clear that while I'm like absolutely excited to walk into this movie theater and see this film, I've tried to get a point, excuse me, get across the point that I'm sort of scatterbrained about it. I guess you could call me uh, the real world's Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley when it comes to whether or not I'm into this movie. I'm into parts. We'll see what happens. I do know that if they don't properly... Like, I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there since this is the last part. And this is sort of the the Johnny C's uh, thoughts part before we get into the actual movie. That WandaVision, uh, I'm excited to see it continue. I think that WandaVision is absolutely the best thing that the MCU has done that isn't like a major Avengers crossover. I mean, they, they they do different things for me. Avengers, all the, the four Avengers films, they just, they give me different feels as a comic book fan who's waited or waited in the past years to see something like those things happen on screen. And I'm, I'm not going to take away from that. But I think that WandaVision is an amazing piece of art. And I guess the thing that I'm most excited for is to see the continuation of that. The thing that bums me out the most about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is that the WandaVision continuation happens in a movie called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness when it deserves its own film. Um, I hope to see the I hope to see the Vision. I hope to see Wiccan and Speed. I hope to see Wanda do some cool Scarlet Witch type stuff. And last thing, a major of note: if you're in the movie theater that I'm in. And the Scarlet Witch ends up talking to Professor X. I am just going to lose my shit. And I apologize in advance for any squeaking, shrieking, shrill sounds that I might make if you happen to be in that theater with me. Wanda, you think you're the Scarlet Witch, but you're actually a mutant. Mutants are the next stage of human evolution. And if you don't believe me, I've got like six films you can watch. And hey... Doesn't that blue fellow look a little bit like your friend Moon Knight? Isn't it crazy? <laughs> to think we could have Moon Knight and Apocalypse. And you know what? I think they're both Egyptian. It's amazing, Wanda. Come to the Fox world and you can see mutants just like you. And she's all like, Professor, no more mutants. Okay, okay, that's wishful thinking. But given that uh, I have an obscene amount of love for the Scarlet Witch character seeing her interact with professor x would just be a nerd dream come true so that's my big hope walking into this thing aside from everything else that i've mentioned that's my little personal caveat into what i'm waiting for i suppose now if you've been listening and you have not seen the film i warn you i'm going to give you a bit of a musical interlude break but then it is time to discuss a spoiler filled take On Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I thank you very much for joining me on the journey so far. And Ray, I'll see you on the other side. And yeah, I think that's a Ghostbusters reference. Come on back and see what we've got to say.
of what life could be. But then the years come and teach you to just wait and see. Forces may try to pull us apart, but nothing can faze me if you're in my heart. Crossing our fingers, singing a song, we're making. Welcome back, everyone. We are here, and we are in Spoiler Town, just in case you didn't know from the uh, sweet musical cue. And God, woo! So, behind the scenes, a couple of things. I record. I recorded that pre-show way in advance of actually seeing uh, this film, and I am glad that I talked about WandaVision so much. Just putting that out there. Also, uh, my little end quote there, I believe it's, See you on the other side, Ray. Not Ray, I'll see you on the other side. So I had to correct that because I could hear, well, I could hear myself if I was listening to this podcast screaming and yelling at the at the screen or at the phone. Anywho, so also a little peek behind the scenes. I had promised that I was going to deliver to you my thoughts straight out of the theater. I got into my car and I thought about recording because I had my, my equipment <laughs> Uh, i.e. my phone and my microphone with me because I really honestly wanted to do that. I did that with the Batman and I think that was an easier film to do that with because it was a straightforward first appearance type film. This film felt much differently and I didn't think that I would be able to put together my thoughts cohesively enough to be number one an entertaining uh, listen but number two be an actual thought out uh, interpretation of what was what was uh, presented to me. So it's the next day. I'm sorry, uh, but I you know I wanted to I wanted to come up with you know with that straightforward. So uh, we've seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and all of the ironically all of the concerns that I presented in the first part. My concerns for God, I really don't care about seeing a Doctor Strange sequel or anything like that. I just want to know where the Marvel Universe is heading. Not only did I get really no indication of where the Marvel Universe was headed, which is kind of what I wanted. I really enjoyed Doctor Strange Part 2. I couldn't believe it. And we're going to get into all of that. A couple of house cleaning items. There were a lot of multiversal variants that I was hoping that we might encounter. And I didn't give the list in the pre-show because I thought to myself, John, or Johnny, (laughs) pronouns, pal, uh, you don't. What if you list one of these variants, and there's no way in hell I knew any of them were going to be there. But what if, what if for some strange reason one of them was? Someone might yell at you because that was a spoiler, and so I didn't do it. But here was who I was hoping to see: Doc Sampson, aka uh, the dad from uh, 
Modern Family. Ty Burrell, I think his name is. Uh, God, who did he play? Uh, Mr. Peabody? Ir- irrelevant. But I was hoping to see Doc Sampson. I figured now's the time. Now's the time to really throw Doc Sampson into this. Uh, I was hoping to see a bleached eyebrow Thor variant again. Uh, because I think it's hilarious the way he looks, and I thought that could have been a fun gag. I wanted to see Japanese Spider-Man. Didn't happen. I know we're getting it in uh, Spider-Man Multiverse or uh, Spider-Verse 2. So didn't didn't really expect it to happen, but I was hoping. I was hoping to see Daniel Radcliffe as Wolverine. Not going to dive into it, but holy shit. Holy shit, have you seen the, the trailer for Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al? I am so there. Uh, I was hoping to see the a full Avengers Swordsman variant. Because I love Swordsman from um, Hawkeye. He's fantastic, hilarious, and a perfect variant to throw in because it's a crowd pleaser for people that have seen that. was also hoping to see the Punisher 2099, which is one of the characters that got me into comics. Didn't happen. Uh, there's, a great, there's a great concept for a Punisher movie out there. There needs to be like a very serious Punisher film that deals with all the implications of what being the Punisher means uh, that ends in the Punisher dying, uh, maybe even by the state which is not something I'm a fan of, but uh, I'm totally off the rails. So we also hoping to see Channing Tatum as Gambit because we all know that's not happening. And it was, it was talked about for so long. So, oh, well. Also, a couple of interesting stories from what I experienced in the movie theater itself, and then we're going to get into the review. So for the first time ever in this era of purchasing movie tickets online and choosing your seat... I purchased a single ticket for an IMAX showing of Doctor Strange 2. Uh, I like to fly to these things solo, number one, uh, because, you know, my kids don't care. Uh, uh, so, you know, who, who, who am I going to take? Uh, but I also like to be only responsible for myself. I don't want to wonder if the person next to me is having a good time or uh, if they're bored. Uh, you know, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. All, all kinds of shit like that. I just I want to be completely immersed. And it's easier to do for me when you fly solo. But because of purchasing one ticket, I'm always clustered in with other people, which is totally fine. And I actually kind of enjoy the experience of maybe catching some of their reactions to things. But I, I in my seat was a child, which is totally fine. And uh, I noticed that I'm, I'm sharing a, a row of four seats with a mom and two kids. And one of the seats... Uh, which was one of their chairs, is full of all the stuff that they brought. You know, mom's got the bag, kids have their coats and or whatever and everything like that. And I felt so bad having to make this kid move. But I purchased the aisle seat for a reason, and I wanted it. Uh, I just felt terrible. But the mom was very nice, and actually I got a chance to talk to her about you know, what What motivated you to bring your kids here? Are you excited for the film? Just kind of get a person off the street. Uh, they had mentioned to me casually that they had not seen WandaVision, but they figured they'd be okay. And in my head, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say, oh, you're fucked. But in my head, I was like, God, what a waste. Like, what? Especially after seeing this movie, thinking, man, seeing this without seeing WandaVision is just not going to be a rewarding experience. WandaVision makes everything so much better. I also, because I saw it in IMAX, got a really interesting like six minute, I don't know, scene from Top Gun Maverick, which I was on the fence about seeing, not because I don't enjoy Top Gun. I really do. It's a perfect slice of 80s nostalgia and um, 
how how much fun you can have by just making a movie. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm not really, and I, you know, it's kind of like the the re the requel thing. You know, you you just decide 20, 30 years later to finally make a sequel, and you know, Tom Cruise is older. It's just, but I, I I'm I'm sold. Uh, I'm really excited to see the all the practical effects. The filmmaking was cool, so good for them. They sold a ticket. Also, the Avatar footage is fine, and uh, I'll probably see it. I was never really a huge Avatar guy. But let's get into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness itself. As I had mentioned, I was not excited to see Doctor Strange 2. But what they've done is completely crafted a brand new magic corner of the Marvel Universe that they allowed the Doctor Strange character to play in. They kind of threw... I felt really bad for the person that directed Doctor Strange 1 because that complete visual style and the aesthetic that they had established uh, completely thrown away. We got a brand new interpretation of what magic is in the MCU, but it also reminded me of how much that happens in actual comics when you might have a writer for like I don't know, 12 issues, 13 issues, 20 issues, whatever, and then they're done. And then a new writer comes in, and everything feels the same, but also feels different, but it doesn't feel off. It's weird. Comics, it's really easy to just, because you have all that knowledge of, yeah, I picked up this book, and it's the first run, it's the first issue of the new writer. You expect things to be a little bit different, but similar. And you, the that writer will usually establish their, their new tools, Okay. And I think Sam Raimi was a fantastic choice for directing this film. And this really felt like an isolated sort of like maxi-series set in the corner of magic in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I wanted to do sort of the old Family Guy compliment sandwich as I go through this thing. So I want to give a positive thought and then maybe a negative that goes with it and then follow up with another positive. So, like I mentioned, to my surprise, it was a complete Doctor Strange 2 movie, and it went full steam into that, and I really appreciated it. The negative aspect of that is that when the broader Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff came into play, i.e. the Illuminati, which was completely not what I thought it was going to be. It was simply a band of heroes on Earth, I think it's 838, that existed uh, as a Illuminati watch group for their Earth only. Uh, whereas I was sort of under the impression that it would be like a multiversal nexus Illuminati, i.e. characters from all over the multiverse that work together to police the multiverse. And it didn't feel studio mandate because it didn't really change the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it did feel a little off. And I don't have any other way, better way to describe that. But the positive aspect of that is that Sam Raimi and the, the writer involved did everything they could to make sure that anything that was a little off of the main storyline enhanced or at least added to characters that were involved in the overall storyline, i.e. they made Strange look and think about things differently and... You know, their concern wasn't Wanda Maximoff. Their concern was Doctor Strange and all the Doctor Strange variants. And it really did an interesting job of repositioning the Doctor Strange character in the Marvel Universe. I think that the idea of Doctor Stranges in every universe being dangerous because of the way that they look at things was interesting. I also appreciated how it recast Doctor Strange as sort of the mastermind for 
what's happened on Earth 616, you know, sort of being the mastermind of the the blip, which is a phrase I can't stand, but the snap, the blip, you know, that that was a call that Doctor Strange made. And of course, I knew that from seeing all these films, but I never really thought about having it positioned or framed that way. Like Iron Man might have been the player out on the, the the court that made the shot, but Doctor Strange was the coach that called the play. And I really thought that was interesting, and I, I think that layer adds more to the Doctor Strange character moving forward because um, he's sticking around in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because he made it out A-OK. Um, the Scarlet Witch. Just amazing. A fantastic performance by Elizabeth Olsen, who clearly believes in the character and believes in the character's motivations. I've heard online chatter about people being angry that it didn't seem to make sense that Wanda would have taken it this far, this quickly. And one of the best, one of my favorite things about the Scarlet Witch character is that when she makes a decision based on an emotion, that emotion carries through. That choice carries through and has consequences because of her power level. Um, It's kind of like Superman in a way, in a sense that Superman makes a choice, okay? That choice can really affect the planet as a whole. You know what I'm saying? Scarlet Witch makes a choice. That choice reverberates because of the power level that she has, okay? And I, I mean, you know, it's out there. She, I mean, she's the villain of the picture right away. Um, and I, I thought there was some great character work in establishing her motivations. I love the scene where Strange goes to talk to her at her in her cabin. And, you know, she slips up and says America's name. And she reveals that she's, again, created another hex in her surroundings. I love that she says to Strange, and I'm paraphrasing, that, you know, na- now making the hex is the easy part. But it's having to lie or convince you of, you know, something that isn't true that's the hard part for me as a person. Um, Meaning that the altering of reality is sort of second nature to her. But she's, you know, getting getting people on... And what I'm trying to say is that, I don't know, it was just a great show of where she's at. Like, she's still Wanda. She's still the person that we care about. She's still that Avengers character, you know, because the hard thing for her is, you know, living in the lie when she has to actually live in a lie. Altering the reality is real to her, but having to be false to other people is not real for her, and that's a hard thing for her to do. Um, The negative aspects of that is that this character is clearly, I think, definitively gone. Um which means that we won't have the Scarlet Witch moving forward. That's okay from a standpoint of, I feel like the Scarlet Witch character is complete at this point. But, man, I really loved knowing that she was out there. Um, But we got the big turn. I mean, what's left to do with the character at this point, I don't know. Um, But uh, I I feel like they've they've definitively ended the character. So I'm going to miss her moving forward. But... The, the compliment side of that is that Sam Raimi knew how to make her a witch. What a fantastic choice for a director for this story. 
all of the horror elements that they leaned into. And they just, I mean, balls out, man, when it comes to magic in the MCU and what Sam Raimi was doing. The the possessions, the dead reanimated corpses, um, the, 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 you know, the Wanda's sort of gargoyle stone henchman, like the way that she was filmed when she was um, dreamwalking. Just, I mean, everything. Perfect, perfect directorial choice. Absolutely fantastic. Sam Raimi was able to shine through immensely. There were a couple of things that kind of threw me off with Sam Raimi's directing. Um, There were some real ridiculous callbacks to his earlier Spider-Man films. Um, I think in the the opening battle with Shuma Garoth or what have you, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I I know they changed the name, uh, but I know the character from Marvel vs. Capcom 2. And it's Shuma Garoth. So um, they cut to a, a woman in a building screaming. And I swear to God, it was the same glasses uh, woman that runs towards the camera and screams when Doc Ock's climbing up the wall. And I was like, man, that's just, I don't know. And uh, I did not enjoy Danny Elfman's score. There were, he even, I think, reused some of his Justice League music, which is like barf bag inducing. Um, but. You know, all that stuff being said, perfect, perfect directorial choice. Um, I would say that overall, those are some, those are my big picture headlines in terms of how I felt about the presentation. Um, I want to get into what it felt like in terms of a comic book, okay? So that's what we're going to talk about next. So, as I'd mentioned, I expected the movie to lay the stage for the next big team-up or concept of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because as it it feels like now, we, we get a lot of great character introduction, we get some great independent stories that have implicate, that, have, that feel like they're interconnected, but we don't have an idea of where we're going. And I expected this movie to be that. And that it's my fault. That's my expectation. And those are built-in fan expectations. It doesn't make the movie a good thing or a bad thing. So what this did end up being to me, though, was sort of a proof of concept that the master plan may not be a master plan to assemble, if you will. What I feel like this movie clearly establishes is sort of the master plan of the MCU right now feels like it's the rack that spins at the comic shop. And what I mean by that is you know that any issue that you grab, you know, might contain anything that you could possibly find in the MCU. Uh, but each of the sets of characters in those books are uh, alive, which is a weird word to use, but doing things solely in their series. And I think that's kind of cool. So now, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't have to build to a big Avengers-style team-up, although I would argue that's what the public's waiting for. Now, it's simply a world where you pull a series off the rack, you read it, and then you move on to the next one, or you wait for the next adventures of your favorite characters. I think that is going to leave a lot of people walking out of the theater wanting for more. And I don't think it's going to work for everyone. You know, I mean, I've had conversations in my personal life with, you know, people I know or people I work with or just random people where they'll say to me, because they know I've inevitably seen everything, they'll be like, hey, did you watch Moon Knight? 
And I'll say, yes, I did. And they'll be like, does it, does it mean anything to the MCU? Because I don't know if I want to watch it or not. And I'm not going to say anything about Moon Knight because I promise no spoilers for that. But that is such a strange thing for me to hear because I want to absorb everything. Whereas I think a lot of people just don't want to tune in unless it's knowledge they have to have. Like if it turns out that the Ten Rings are like the most dangerous weapon in the Marvel multiverse and that's the next big crossover is trying to destroy the Ten Rings, then I, you know, you'd be able to retroactively go back and be like, yeah, if you haven't seen Shang-Chi, it's probably the most important thing you need to see before the big Avengers movie, okay? Um, since that's older, I don't feel like that's a spoiler. But that's what people are wanting to know. They want like almost a checklist box. Like, okay, if you're building to Avengers 5, just give me the checklist of everything I have to watch, and I'll just ignore everything that I don't. So what does that do for this, the, the films, though, moving forward? I think it allows um, for independent choices to be made from film to film, which I think is a good thing. Um, and this movie in particular sort of felt like a big crossover event contained to like the magical corner of the MCU, where if it was an actual comic book, I would probably have some sort of meta knowledge that if I pick it up, you know, everything in the MCU is at play, but I highly doubt Captain America is going to storm in because he's, he's not really like a magical character. Okay. But again, you know, our, our non fans that don't have this sort of relationship with comics to relate this movie to, are they going to be walking out of the theater being like, well, damn it, I waited to see Reed Richards all this time and now he's just dead. You know, when it's like, well, I mean, yes, but that happens all the time. One of the main reasons you create something like Earth 838 is so you can do things like that for sort of, I don't want to say shock value, but, you know, sometimes it's fun to just be able to be like, yeah, I'm going to write a comic where I can kill Batman, to use DC as an example, because they have all the alternate Earths as well. And it's like, yeah, this Justice League arc is going to be great. They go to Earth 866 and they have to kill Batman, you know. And it's like, you've kind of always wanted to see the Justice League fight Batman and now you get to. And you get to do that without the ramifications of a larger uh, storyline. You know, we all know that our Batman is safe and sound back on his Earth or whatever. So... To illustrate these points and also have a fun way to just sort of cover the film as a tactile whole, I'd like to go through major story beats. And it's not going to be plot summary type stuff because I know nobody, especially that's seen it, we can all just go to Wikipedia and read the plot summary if there's anything we forget. But I want to just sort of walk through this world that we inhabited. Talk about what I liked, didn't like, but also how they contribute to my the theory I've just proposed about how we're now... Uh, just a spinning rack at a comic shop where we can do anything we want, which I do think is a good thing. So the opening scene with America Chavez and Ponytail Strange, who I'm sure has a much cooler name on the Funko Pop box that I just don't know off the top of my head. Right away, this see, as this film opens, it's not working for me. All right, The editing here feels very choppy, and it feels like I'm watching a fucking stunt show, and I'm not here for that. But it does clearly establish America as an important character. She's kind of the MacGuffin. And I do have lots of positive thoughts on America Chavez, so don't worry. This isn't, I'm not trying to like be negative right away. I think she's a great character, very cool introduction, and a very cool concept in the MCU, and played very well by the actress whose name escapes me because I don't have it in front of me, and my apologies to her. Um, but then we, you know, we come out of that to the everything that 
happens before the battle downtown, okay, which includes like the wedding and what have you. I love Doctor Strange callbacking, making the callback to his watch. Uh, I love seeing his hands struggle to tighten the watch. I love the character choice of him just saying, fuck it. Uh, I'm just going to tie the tie using magic, which seems like just... It, it, someone could watch that scene and be like, oh, that's funny. He ties tie with his magic. It, of course he did. He's Dr. Strange. Why wouldn't he tie? I, hell, I'd do everything with magic. I'd make my coffee with magic. I'd wipe my ass with magic. But it's like, no, man, this is a reminder that this person is disabled. And, uh, in, in, you know, very, very much so. In a sense that it's easier to tie the tie with the magic. That's something that we forget about. You know, I, I don't know that we forget about it collectively. I don't want to speak for everyone, but that's a very easy thing to just not have put forward in the narrative. It's a reminder that Doctor Strange is still dealing with who he is, even though he's Doctor Strange now and not medical Doctor Strange, if that makes sense. Um, I really liked the wedding, him having to attend this because it really felt like establishing that this Doctor Strange is not in a good place the are you happy motif really great stuff there with that i love that are you happy motif i love the random doctor coming back from the first one who i had to think about who the fuck is this guy because again i haven't gone back to doctor strange a lot okay um i love that this is where the seed is laid that doctor strange is responsible for the world that we now inhabit in our Marvel, in our Marvel Cinematic Universe, I made the, the the little comparison earlier that yeah, Iron Man made the shot at the buzzer, but Doctor Strange was the coach that called the play. So ultimately, he's the chess master, and I hadn't thought of that before. I always sort of thought of it as well. Of course, Doctor Strange, um, you know, made the call, if you will, because it was the only iteration of time that he saw where they were victorious. But were there multiple choices out there? Was there another way? Did Earth have to experience the blip? And then getting kicked in the dick like that and turning around and watching the love of his life marry someone else, it's just some double dick kicks for Doctor Strange to have to deal with. And I felt that that was good. And then when he talks to Christine, he actually pulls, he actually goes there, which is like the cringy thing. It's like, oh, you're going to your ex's wedding. Oh, you're going to talk to her by yourself oh you're gonna bring up your own relationship it's just like oh no (laughs) don't do that don't do that on the wedding day um but it was it was good character building stuff and it's stuff that contributed to me being like oh wow i'm actually interested in dr strange too who would have thunk it and then we go and transition to the downtown battle which i guess is just what i'm calling it again we're still sort of establishing what this new presentation of Doctor Strange is. I loved his new costume. It may have been the same in No Way Home. I don't think it's completely the same, but it looked different and it felt a little bit more comic booky, a little brighter, a little more, I don't want to say risk-takey, but just a little more like, oh yeah, this is fucking, this is a wizard that wears a cape and a comic booky. And I really appreciated that. But the action was a little stunt showy still. Um, there were some weird Raimi callbacks, as I had mentioned earlier. Um, it was nice to see Wong as an actual violent threat. That was cool. Uh, it took a little while to get acclimated to how magic is going to be presented with this new director, but you know we eventually got up to speed. I think watching 
Doctor Strange and honestly all the wizards do battle in like New York City against a giant monster is probably the in my opinion the least interesting thing that these characters can do but I know you got to have this stuff for your general audiences and so I it was very much okay nice little cherry on top though with the ripping of the eyeball in all its gory detail good on them for just doing it fuck I mean you you've got the director of Evil Dead Directing a magic-based comic book movie. Just fucking go for it. And they did. And I appreciated that a lot. I believe after the conclusion of all that, it would take us to sort of like the Let's Meet America scenario where they're in the cafe. I really enjoyed the banter between America and Doctor Strange. It felt much better than the way he talked to Spider-Man and his friends in uh, No Way Home. I don't know, it just felt sort of more like a, a more tuned-in, full version of Stephen Strange, if that makes sense. I love that he wanted no part of the selfie, or of the picture that woman was going to take in the cafe. It felt very meta, um, and I appreciated that. And, I, you know, just I, I, I think this is where America really got to shine as a, an individual character and not a MacGuffin. I love that Strange knew he knows someone who might be able to help. And I love the musical cue callback to the WandaVision theme. It was fantastic. But then pivoting to Wanda's sanctuary, it was really jarring at first to see uh, WandaVision up on the big screen. Seeing like her in the house with Speed and Wiccan. Like it was very, you know, it's shot differently. The budget's higher, the resolution's there. I mean, everything about like camera choice, and this is really nerdy, but it's different. You know, it's not shot like a television show. The same cameras aren't being used, the same lenses, all, all that shit. All that shit matters into how the how the the, ver, the the vision, if you pardon the expression, I just trying so hard not to use the word vision there, feels. So it was jarring, but it's fine. It's just something you got to get used to. And then my absolute favorite moment in the film happens, and it might be one of my top MCU moments of all time, and just a fantastic choice. The silence when Wanda wakes up. It is the absolute best way possible to get the audience on board with her, to experience her pain. And whoever made this choice, it just, man, they really deserve a pat on the back and a little bit extra in the pay bucket. You know, it's just, God, it was so fucking good. My favorite. It was also weird for Doctor Strange to kind of sweep away the events of Westview under the rug and this also goes back to my comic theory that this feels very much like a throwaway line that a writer has to insert to take care of whatever this character had going in their own book before they came in for the crossover and so while it's a little jarring because it's like man does Doctor Strange really get to make that call you know but whatever it, 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 like it, it, it goes to my comic feel so I'm okay with it I just wanted to point it out because it's simultaneously weird for a movie and weird for like a real person to say these things as if it was actually real. Like, yeah, it's cool you did all that shit. I made the, you know, I speak for society and, you know, everybody was okay at the end. So I, I don't know, like, just kind of felt like a, like a warning. You get, I don't know. It's like, it's like if a cop pulled you over and saw a dead body in the back and just gave you a warning. Like, okay, whatever. But I, I spent enough time on that. I don't want to dig into it more. Um, we talked about the hex. And her lying, just fucking brilliant character shit. And, oh my god, this is the moment where I realized, holy shit, uh, she's not, you know, she's the bad guy. This is, this is, they're really 
They're really doing this. And I enjoyed that the powers that she displayed and that Strange displayed here and the confrontation that they had was rooted in the MCU magic lore that they had established in WandaVision and they were establishing also as they sort of went along as to how mystic arts interact with witchcraft just felt very much like defining the MCU corner or excuse me the magic corner of the MCU and I'm here for that um I had assumed going into this that Scarlet the Scarlet Witch would basically be like Robin to pardon the comparison but I was like okay so Strange is going to get into some scenarios in the multiverse he's going to need another magician or magic based character to help him and then I figured that the deep Wanda shit that we would get would be maybe her being tempted by being able to access different areas of the multiverse and knowing that she could maybe get her kids and ultimately I thought it would sort of go with her not choosing that path so like I had like I said I got this entire other movie in my head you know, I've got that the fucking multiversal police, the Illuminati, come to get Strange because, uh, you know, he fucked with the multiverse. And uh, Wanda, you know, goes to help him. And, uh, you know, maybe we have to keep Wanda from Breaking Bad, but she doesn't. And ultimately, we figure out that there's a greater threat and Doc, they're the only ones that can actually stop it. So we'll let you off easy this time because even though you fucked with the multiverse and No Way Home, you saved us here. And also, here's the next big threat that we got to get the Avengers ready for. Man, it flipped the script. And I love the concept that the Scarlet Witch is just a mother who will do anything for her children. Your children are real, Wanda. You made them with magic. That's what every mother does. I'm paraphrasing. Best line. A whole movie. <sighs> it's good shit. Really fucking good shit. Um... The Battle of Kamertosh sort of felt like a revision of that corner of the MCU. I don't remember it looking like that, but that's fine. We're in a new Doctor Strange run with a new writer. It's all good. Fantastic choices with the magic being used. Wanda's callback to her early Scarlet Witch mind controls from Age of Ultron powers. The illusions that the uh, the, 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 the the sorcerers made by like concealing their weapons. The water mirror spike trap that Wanda gets stuck in. Holy shit. Great visual stuff. You have the right director for this. Wanda being set up as being able to get at the good guys through the reflections in that room using the mirrors. Uh, also sort of laying in the, uh, you know, reiterating the concept that, you know, alternate reality or mirror versions of ourselves can be dangerous. You know, when you look into a mirror, there's always a chance that uh, the parts of us that aren't what we want to be are looking back. Just good shit. And we established the magic rules surrounding the Darkhold and the Vishanti. Uh just good stuff. Real good world building here. And again, we're establishing the big rules for this crossover. Might as well get to Earth 838. Man, I hope I have that right because I'm going off memory. Uh, this is where the path was clear to me. We're not dealing with a universe-changing crisis. This is just a big event in the Doctor Strange comic run that we're currently reading. Okay? Um, this happens all the time in comics. It does. You introduce... You know, if, you, if you, your characters go to another universe... It's sort of almost implied or expected you're doing it so you can have a big body count without mainline implications. And again, it's a complete switch from what I assumed. It's uh, They're going a different direction here with the Royal Rumble, if you want to call back to my wrestling analogy, and I'm here for it. Okay, The bad memories thing was a little on the nose, all right, but I really enjoyed getting to see uh, America's sort of fear 
It's like a fight or flight response. It was a good way to do that. I can't believe that the movie gets banned in countries because of this fucking scene. I, kiss my ass. That's all I'm going to say to that. Um, the filming techniques used in Dream Walking. Fuck. God bless you, Sam Raimi, for this stuff. There's not everything. Not every Sam Raimi touch is great. But man, she is a witch. She's being filmed like a fucking witch. It's fantastic. I love it. And good, man, I'm so happy to see Speed and Wiccan back. Those kids are good, especially the little kid that plays Wiccan. He's just, he's he's great. Um, you, know, you just want to you know, squeeze his cheeks and be like, it's okay, Wiccan. You're fine, buddy. Um, but, you know, getting established on Earth, 30, Earth 838, um, you know, it's fun to play in another world. I, I didn't mean to skip over the scene where they hop through the multiverse and we go through all the different stuff. Again, brilliant shots. Uh, Baron Mordo. It's just a complete waste of this actor. Um, I know the gentleman's name. I always pronounce it wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not going to disrespect... Well, is it more disrespectful to pronounce it wrong or not even try? I don't know. I like the idea that's implied that Strange is kind of like... There's some throwaway line where he's like, Yeah, you... You know, or he says to America, or I don't know, he says like, yeah, he's he's been trying to kill me for years now or something like that. I love the idea that there's all sorts of Doctor Strange back issues that I just haven't read. And I like that. Some people are like, oh, it's such a waste. And, I mean, this character's dead in the water, so you might as well imply that it happened. Um, if, if Bear Mordo ever comes back in any MCU property, I will eat my hat. And I'm not saying that's disrespect to the man. It's just... I don't think there's any interest in the character, period. I felt like this was a complete inclusion because we felt like we had to. And it's like, why bother if you don't have anything for him? Uh, just a quick reference to Mount Wondegore. Fantastic. I'm just happy it's here. It's brilliant. I'm so glad it got included. Uh, the scene of her realizing, like, all the people, the people that the, my theater around me, I, I happen to notice, like, when the statues are, like, attacking her in quotation marks... I was looking at people, and they're kind of like, oh, here we go, it's a fight. And I'm like, nah, man, they're they're fucking here for her. Don't you get it? But, you know, I'm just glad they took that direction. Uh, we get to the politics of Earth 838 before the, the big reveal scene happens. I'm glad, to, you know, I enjoyed Baxter Foundation, Christine. It was good that Strange was able to interact with Christine but not have all the baggage from their Earth so they could put a bow on that storyline and move that character on from that or find closure. Are you happy? Uh, let's get into the Illuminati. Captain Carter is fun to see her. Good for Haley Atwell. She deserves it. Black Bolt. Extremely happy to see Black Bolt. I'm glad that they fucking went for it. Dude looked like the porno parody version of Black Bolt, though. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's the if it's the tuning fork. Like, the tuning fork's fine. I have no problem with it. But when you have billions of dollars, well, millions of dollars at your disposal, I gotta feel like they could have made a better Black Bolt realistic costume. Again, we're in porn parody here. Um... The Captain Marvel Maria variant. I spent so much of my brain power during this exposition dump trying to figure out where I knew Lashana Lynch from. Okay, because I know she's Maria Rambo in Captain Marvel, which I legitimately have only seen a, a handful of times, and she looks different. And of course, she doesn't. She's English, I believe. She doesn't use her accent. I know she wasn't using it here, but I'm looking at her, and I know who she is in the MCU. But I was like, God. Damn it, Lashana Lynch, who are you? I know you. And I was racking my brain. And then finally, at some point, I was—I almost wanted to scream, Oh, it's 007! <laughs> who, and I was so pissed, because I think she's a great... She's great as that 007, uh, as the agent Nomi, I think it is. 
because it's the same character from Showgirls, which is a masterpiece we can discuss in some other podcast. It's a masterpiece of uh, expensive-looking garbage filmmaking. I don't, I don't want to get into it. it, and I'm not trying to bring up, you know. Anywho, my point is, is that she's Nomi 007, um, and once it clicked, I was like, of course, man, I'm glad she's rocking her like actual like 007 look. I don't know if that's like her look look. It probably is, I would imagine. Um, but I was just like, oh, this is fun. Because now I'm getting I'm getting all those positive vibes. Uh, it's like uh, a buy one get one free. It's like cool, she's here. Oh, and you get all the free like good feels I have from her being 007. So that was fun. Um, Reed Richards. It's super nice to see the payoff to the years of fan casting. It really was. It's cool that they can do something that big on a scale of something like this. Okay. I don't think John Krasinski should have the point part moving forward. Um, I'm not saying it was bad, but I have a very specific opinion of how Reed Richards should be in my head, and this isn't that, and that doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just my feelings, okay? Professor X, I mean, we all knew it going in. They even spoiled the yellow chair. Did anybody else catch when he rolls into the frame? The Danny Elfman does a little do 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 There's a callback to the X-Men cartoon theme. Um, they're hitting all the right buttons with that one. I'm pretty sure he never said the word mutant, though. I'm pretty sure we didn't want to get into all that. Excuse me, Kevin, Mr. Feige, I feel like here I should say the word mutant because mutant human, uh, uh, the way that mutants and humans interact is key to the character of Professor Charles Xavier. And he's just like, oh, I don't really know what we want to do with the X-Men yet. <laughs> hey, Sam, just, just tell Patrick to say mutant and we'll scrub it out later. Yes, I get to say mutant. I'm so excited. And then Patrick Stewart shows up at the premiere. Kevin, you son of a bitch. I said mutant, and you cut it out. Anywho, um, it was cool to see Professor X. I. It really made me realize that we're not going to have Sir Patrick Stewart forever. Just his look. I love seeing Black Bolt's powers. Fucking loved it. Perfect. The politics and backstory of us having to dive into eight, Earth 838 was, I guess, necessary because we're here, but it sort of muddled the storyline. It's like, are we here to ta- tell the story of Wanda seeking America, or are we now dealing with the fact that Doctor Strange is a threat to the entire multiverse period. The concept that Stephen Strange exists as a being and an infinite number of multitudes uh, or multiverse multitudes, whatever, is a threat to everything. And that's what we should be concerned with. I was, I thought we were supposed to be concerned with Wanda. It was a little muddy, but they wanted to tell a strange story and they felt that they needed this to get there. So it's fine. It's just, again, we're shifting from what I expected, which is fine. And now that I know what you're giving me, it's kind of like, okay, I guess we maybe could have gotten there differently, but it's fine. Okay. It's fine. We finally get the designation of earth 616, uh, which meant a lot. Um, I also love how the Illuminati was like, yeah, tell you what, Dr. Strange, it's cool. If this Scarlet Witch ever shows up, we're going to take this bitch to task. We're not afraid of her. (laughs) Like, like, I know, but, but I love how they were just so flippant about it. And then a word was said that made me scream. Incursions. Fucking Jonathan Hickman, Avengers, 
New Avengers, Infinity. At this point, I was like, oh my god, are we going to... Is Incursions the ticket? Is that our big MCU revelation? Are Incursions what matters going forward? Is this our next big threat? And it could be. And if they laid the groundwork here, that's awesome. Because that's what you do in your big event series that you know people are going to buy. You set up the big maxi series that you know is the event that you've been building to for years. So maybe that's something we use moving forward. But I'll tell you what, right now, guys. If we're going to use incursions as the next big selling point, the MCU is nowhere near where it needs to be to tackle incursions and how amazing that concept can be. Um... Obviously, it won't be like it is in the comics, bit for bit, tit for tat, and that's totally fine. But the implications of do you kill a world so yours can live is beyond anything that the characters we have established in the MCU now as our main characters are established, uh, are ready to deal with, or in a place where they should deal with it. So we got a lot of work to go. Wanda shows up at 8.38, and holy fuck, the body possession... The dream walking, just amazing. She is a witch. It's like something out of Army of Darkness. Let's tackle the fight. I have no problem with killing the Earth 838 versions of the multiverse uh, of this, you know, Illuminati because they're not the multiversal, all-encompassing cops that I thought they would be. It's not like this is the only Professor X or the Professor X that matters moving forward. Again, you do this in your big events. You want a body count, but you don't want repercussions. It's totally okay. Um, hey, do you want to remind me that Wanda Maximoff hates Ultron without telling me that Wanda Maximoff hates Ultron or whatever it is those internet memes say? Fucking hell, that Ultron head rolling across the, the screen being like, I am Ultron, peacekeeping, and then just... <laughs> Man, she does not like Ultron. I do feel a little bit robbed that we didn't get to see her encountering Ultron bots for the first time and just being appalled. Because at this time, her mind is... Earth 616 Wanda, so, you know. Black Bolt's death, amazing. Um, Captain Carter, hey, I can do this all day. Fatality. And it was just like a fucking fatality, too. Um, God, the Scarlet Witch asking Reed Richards if uh, Valeria and Franklin Richards have a mother. Is she still alive? Good, because they'll still have a parent. Wow. That's, a, that's an exit on Jim. But man, it was it was a damn good confrontation. Um, I do think it's a missed opportunity for her to not talk to Captain Marvel about her daughter. You know, maybe because there was a good, there was a decent relationship established between um, Monica Rambo. Fuck. Oh well, between the the WandaVision Rambo and um, Wanda, they left on good enough terms. And maybe some of the effect of like, you know, I'm sorry I'm making your daughter an orphan, but don't worry, I know she's stronger without you, or something like that. I gasped. I audibly screamed, as I promised I would, when Professor X and the Scarlet Witch locked eyes. All I can say is thank you. It wasn't exactly what I expected. Maybe it wasn't everything it could have been, if you want to talk about big comic book lore. But the little battle they had in the collapsed like home island area where 838 Wanda was trapped uh, uh, I, I kept waiting for the opportunity for Wanda to say no more something 
you know, like no more Ultrons or no more mind games or whatever like that. But I will take that fucking savage neck break. Um, something really cathartic about seeing the Scarlet Witch kill Professor X. It was amazing. Not to mention that after this, when she's she uh, the Scarlet Witch pronouns pal is chasing our heroes through the little tunnels of the uh, Illuminati to the waypoint of the multiversal nexus, they're shooting her like she's fucking Freddy. Uh, uh, Kruger or Jason Voorhees in a horror film, and I am here for it. That is Raimi. That's what he's bringing to the table. She's a witch. She's a horrifying, mythical creature. She is an all-powerful killing machine like Jason Voorhees. Go for it. Do it. I love it. So when the Vishati, or if that's the, I'm pronouncing correctly, is destroyed in the multiversal nexus... I love that the last little piece of paper that burns away is in a star shape. So I'm a little confused on this. Help me out. Were they implying that Strange did indeed get the spell off and he got exactly what he needed and that was an America Chavez that's in control of her powers and that's what allowed her to get more in control, that he made the wish or got what he needed? Or are they implying that somewhere, somehow... Someone used the book for to make the wish, if you will. And that's what caused America Chavez to come into existence. So, we know she has two mothers, which is awesome. I'm just saying that this kind of... Because my theory is, like, was she created by the book because someone made the wish years ago or before? Is this like an Anakin Skywalker conceived by the Force sort of thing? Like, someone made the wish... America Chavez was created because there are no other America Chavez's in the multiverse. So, is she the wish? Is she the result of that book? Is she the reason that book existed? So someone with this power set could be brought into the multiverse. And the reason I bring up the two moms is that, you know, I mean, look, I mean, there you as I don't know, I'm not trying to the implications being that in most versions of humanity, there needs to be a male and female component to create a, a new being, if you will, okay? So, um, it, so I'm using that as an example to say, oh, well, maybe she was birthed by the Force. Maybe she was birthed by the book years ago. I'm just using that as an example to build up that theory because I love the idea of America Chavez being the wish. She's what we needed. And it's up to America to figure out how to best be that wish fulfillment that the book provided that we needed in the MCU. I love that a lot. I think it's great. A great little thing from that one little moment. Um, the three-eyed monster strange. I don't know if that's the only thing they could think of to get the, the good doctor to have his own storyline that he could wrap up on his own. Uh, again, it almost feels like another detour, but they're trying to put a bookend on the Doctor Strange journey, so that's fine. Zombie Strange only works because Sam Raimi has directed every moment of the movie up until this point. If any other one is at the helm, this is like a walkout moment for me because I'm like, this is just kitschy and stupid as fuck, but he makes it work because, again, it's like I'm watching Evil Dead 4, you know, because it feels just like something out of Army of Darkness. Um, there are also some great facial zooms I want to bring to the forefront, just something I haven't mentioned about Raimi yet. He does that so well. And I swear to God, at some scene... 
the Scarlet Witch's movements and the way she was filmed were an exact replica of something that the Green Goblin did in the first Spider-Man film. I couldn't put my finger on it. I can't remember which shot it was. I'm going to have to have like the on-demand version to catch it, but I think it's there. Let's wrap this up and get to the big finish because I feel like I'm going plot points and I'm not. I'm just trying to reiterate the, the stuff that, that you know brings my theory to the forefront. Um, heartbreak in Westview, man. Elizabeth Olsen is God-level performance in this movie. Seeing her interact with Speed and Wiccan that were frightened, let alone her her, her having that moment where she kind of yells at them, like every parent does. There's some moments you just need to be like, be quiet, let's just ugh, calm down, we'll figure this out, but you need to control yourselves first, and I need to get you under control. And it's like, they're only out of control and frightened because I'm here. Just... The Scarlet Witch stuff is almost perfect. Um, they were able to close the book on Christine and Doctor Strange. Moving forward, I think that's good. The Wanda sacrifice death. It felt like the only ending possible, and I don't mean that as a good thing. It felt like the only movie possible... The, excuse me, the only ending possible in a movie like this where we tell stories like we do, where we have to have resolution like we do. I'm okay with Scarlet Witch being gone. It's unfortunate she didn't get to act, interact with Vision one more time, but I also didn't want Vision to swoop in and be like, Wanda, you're doing bad things. Because she doesn't need the Vision to come in and fucking finish her arc for her. She can do that herself. Again, the mother stuff, so good. Can't give it enough credit. Full power to America Chavez. is Very cool. I love the stars. I love the star motif. I love the star portals. I love everything about the stars. Um, but I guess to, to put the bow on the Wanda conversation, you know... I don't know if they felt like they had to give the character a positive note to die on. I do think she's dead. Um, I'm going to miss it. But man, they really this almost felt like her own movie. So that's why I think I have so much closure with it. And I'm okay with it. Um, really wrapping it up here. I, I'm glad that Doctor Strange bows to Sorcerer Supreme Wong. It was a cute little callback. And I thought for sure this movie was going to end with Strange getting the title back. And I'm glad that did it. The last thing I have to note, what do you do when you finish your big, uh, when your writer finishes? Well, they leave something for the next writer to tackle, if we're talking about comic books. All hail Third Eye, Doctor Strange, and the 616. I don't know that I'm okay with that, but whatever. Let's talk about that mid credit scene. We are in real sub-porn parody stuff here. This is the worst Marvel stinger scene ever. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, man, this just reeks of filmed on a very closed set that no one is allowed in except me and Charlie's Theron and Sam Ramy and Benedict Cumberbatch. Charlie's costume looked porn parody-ish, as in not fully complete, like a rough draft. When she started talking about incursions, I got ex really excited because I thought she was a black swan. And if you're familiar with Hickman's Avengers, you know what that is. Um... But again, she's sort of the final checkbox in my theory. That she could have been there to be like, Doctor Strange, we got some big shit brewing in the, in the multiverse, and I need you to come figure out how we're going to solve this. It didn't feel like set up for Avengers 5. It felt like, hey kids, I bet you can't wait to read the next set of Doctor Strange books. Come back in a year when they're ready, or we'll see you for Doctor Strange 3 which is sort of where we're going now. We're telling our own stories where we can do whatever we want. 
I think either way, this film is a turning point for the MCU. Either you're on board for the contained, character-driven, character-focused films where anything is possible, or you're pissed that we clearly have no team-up plans or we're not ready to reveal them to the public yet. I think, ultimately, that's sort of, if you look at it from a 28-picture scope, that's where we're at. We're at the turning point of, here's the new new, if you could uh, quote my good buddy Jamie Foxx. I will definitely revisit this film in the future. I may not see it in theaters again. Um, And I'm probably always going to be the most enamored whenever Elizabeth Olsen is on screen. Not only because she is ridiculously beautiful. I apologize for that. Just wanted to get in my two cents. But God-level acting performance uh, that I am extremely glad that the Scarlet Witch came across as a fully developed character that very much emulated the types of issues she has to deal with consistently in comics because whenever the Scarlet Witch shows up in a big MCU style cross excuse me in a big comic crossover I'm usually excited to see what's going to happen so I guess if you had to apply a rating to it I don't really do this it's not something that I'd planned it's an easy like seven and a half because eight is too close to ten because we're not a perfect film but damn it we have the right people on board to get wacky in the magical corner of Marvel. And I hope you enjoyed getting wacky with me. Please uh, take a chance to check out anything that's available in the North-South Connection podcast feed. We cover all sorts of pop culture items like this. Nice, heavy focus on wrestling if you're into that. I definitely think that there's all sorts of content that can scratch whatever itch you might have when it comes to that. I am Johnny C. I can be found on Twitter at the Johnny C. If you'd like to tell me how awful I am as a film critic, I'm more than happy to hear you out. I hope you enjoy, you know, the multiverse. I hope to God you haven't listened to this if you haven't seen the movie because I spoiled the shit out of it. But I hope that it enhances the experience you had and maybe something that you hear heard here might benefit your next viewing. But if nothing else... Thanks for hanging out with me, and I'll talk to you the next time some film studio decides to drop a major release on the universe. Take it easy, everybody. This is Johnny C. from the 616, signing off.